do life with messy people. Messy people, which is everybody. There's degrees of mess, but everyone's got some. Um, they will cause you to seek Jesus <laughs> in a way that you don't when you just hang out with yourself. Come on. Actually, pushing ahead into healthy relationship makes you, like, get humble and seek Jesus. Come on. So I want to encourage you for connection. Um, if you are a young adult in the house, young adults go to lunch every single Sunday. Makes it super easy. If you're interested, Eric and Alyssa, raise your hands. That's who you see. That's who you see. Um, but they go to lunch every Sunday, so it makes it super easy. And also on Wednesday nights, every first, second, and third Wednesday of the month, um, there's teaching for all ages in the house. Um, the fourth Wednesday is off, so this is an on, an on Wednesday for adults and kids, and there's nursery as well. Lots of connection points. And the guys are going camping this weekend. This week, where's Jim Green? I know it's up. Jim Green. Jim, stand on up. Jim has been digging an outhouse for you guys, we heard. <laughs> so you better go. You better go. He's the guy you want to see, but this weekend... <laughs> Guys are getting away, and I want to encourage you. Guys, it's so easy to not go to stuff. I want to encourage you. There's something about righteous men getting together with other righteous men. And not just like for a minute or like for an hour on Sunday, but like getting away. It does something to your soul that is good. It's good. I want to encourage you. So Jim's the guy you want to see. Um, if you want to go this weekend, um, I told Jeff, I'm kind of, I'm, he's got a whole cabin he's opening up for, all, for the guys to go to. I said, Jeff, I'm kind of jealous. I want to go. <laughs> and he said, well, just let you know, there's no running water. And he's actually digging out like a toilet area right now this weekend. Um, and I said, okay, you guys go. <laughs> you guys do it. <laughs> We're going to be in Psalm 23 today. Psalm 23. In this month, I want to um, talk through um, some of the ways that we increase our capacity to really host the presence of God. Um, obviously, first steps are people have to turn their hearts to him, right, and make room for him. And I think that God's been doing that in us over a period of time. And the next phase you have to get into is we, we've been feeling the presence of God. I'm just experiencing the presence of God in a greater way um, over the past, I don't know, a couple of months maybe even. Well, building up, but especially I think in the past couple of months we've really identified that. Um, one mistake we can make is that God's presence begins to come in a way that begins to feel like what people call revival. One mistake we can make is we can say it's all about what we do in the building. Maybe we need to sing like songs this way or maybe we need to do this or... We start to like tinker with services, thinking that's what brings the presence of God. It, that is not it. We could sing, we could get out the old hymnal and sing hymns the entire time and experience the presence of God that we do if we sing Bethel songs. You know what I'm saying? Like it has not, it's one, people's hearts are positioned toward him. It starts there. But then once you get to that point where you come hungry and our hearts are positioned, it has, what happens in the house after that point has a lot more to do with what we do out there than how we do it in here, right? So the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit falls, Jesus says, I'm, the Holy Spirit's going to baptize you in power to be witnesses. So wait for it to happen. On the day of Pentecost, that happens. 
the Holy Spirit, right, comes in power for them to be witnesses. And what it, as, as soon as they have that major experience of God, what do they do? Yeah, they don't say, hey, same, same time next week. Let's plan for an hour longer because this is really good. That is not what they did. What happened? The presence of God comes on them, and what do they do? They go out and have to tell somebody about it. And as we give of what he gives us, and we partner with him, our capacity for his presence increases because we actually need it to do the thing he intended it to do. That infilling of power to become witnesses, right? Are you with me? So um, I want to talk through in July ways we partner with him outside this building. Like if you, if you, if you're like the experience of God's presence is amazing, I want to experience more of it, then I want to talk about how we increase our capacity for it. Connected to what we do out there. Getting filled in here. The whole, the, the um, mission of our church is to equip people to be and make disciples. If we're not equipping you to go out and do the thing that he put us on mission to do, I don't know what we're doing. Just comforting each other until he comes? Like, that is not the mission he gave us. The gates of hell won't prevail against the onslaught we should be bringing, right? So come on. So equipping people to be make disciples. So what do we do out there? So I want to talk through this in July about how we partner. Obviously, part of that is sharing our faith. Part of that is intercession. There's a lot of things that go into that. Um, but today, we are taking a break. So we're going to be doing that in July as we move forward. Um, but today, I just want to take a standalone sermon and just talk through Psalm 23. Because the whole point of experience the presence of God is to know him. Not to have the experience. It's to know him. Right? Uh, what a bummer if uh, you plan, let's say guys in the room who are single. I won't make you raise your hand, but guys in the room who are single, you plan the perfect date, right? At the perfect restaurant. You spend a boatload of money. And after a while, you realize, I think she's just hanging out with me because I give her good stuff. I don't know if she really likes me. Right? All of the Christmas time um, Hallmark movies. Right? Right? When it's not the lumberjack who meets the chick from the city who ends up stuck in the town to bake cookies for some reason. When it's not that storyline... It's the storyline of the wealthy guy who doesn't know if he's really loved. How, and so he's got to find the girl who doesn't know him, has never read about him, right? And the, yeah, You've all seen the 10 movies based on that storyline. Okay, the 100 movies. Basically. But what's the problem? I have so many good things to give, I'm not sure if they love me. Experiencing the presence of God is awesome. Like we were made for it. It satisfies our soul on a very deep level. But how many of you know it's an invitation into relationship with him, not just an invitation to say, make more bread for us, Lord. We're hungry again today. Make us bread. Come on. Come on. So we want to pursue relationship. When we read through Psalm 23, it's talking about this kind of relationship where we are really connected to the shepherd, where we're hearing his voice. We are following him what it looks like to actually follow the shepherd and not just follow people who follow the shepherd, not just read books by people who follow the shepherd, but we actually follow the shepherd ourselves. 
Like, thank God for those people that write the awesome books and thank God there's pastors and teachers and whatever. But how many of you know, you don't just want what somebody else chewed up and regurgitated to you. Like, you need to have your own relationship with Jesus. You need to be in the Word. You need to have your own prayer life going on. He wants to be connected to you. He made you in His image. And if you put your faith in Him, you are redeemed image bearer of God. I don't know about you, but I think if you look at kids, they are made to want their parents' attention. They are made to want to be connected to their parents. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Now I flipped all the way over. Look, 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 look. Look how high I jumped. Look, 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 look. What? What? They want, look at, I, I can do something. I'm, I'm growing up. I'm becoming more like you. Can you see? Can I do it? I, right? Am I as tall as you, Dad? Am I taller than you, Dad? Am I, right? There, when you recognize you are made in God's image, you are a child of God, you need to be connected to him. It's great there's other ways that encourage us to be connected to him, other people that encourage us, but you need to be connected. You need a shepherd. Yeah. Who knows you. I think a lot of folks get discontented in church because they keep looking for people to fill all their needs. Man, you've got to be connected to the shepherd. He knows your needs. I was just talking to a friend a couple weeks ago. She doesn't live in the state. She's like, man, I, I found this church, but people just aren't super loving. I just wish they were more loving. And I was like, well, then you be love. <laughs> I mean... Like, I like that they do this, I like that, I like that, I like that, but they're just not super loving, warm. Well, then you be love. <laughs> Get connected to the source of love and be love. You know what I'm saying? Come on. Get your needs met where it's meant to get met. Then you've got something to give where you go. That was free. It's not even part of the sermon. It was just a little, that was a freebie. Because my friend knows better. You know what I'm saying? Come on, come on. Put your big girl pants on and. Now, I recognize that there's places that are less healthy, maybe in whatever, but you, you get what I'm saying. Okay. We need to be connected to him. Psalm 23. I'm going to read through it, and then we're going we're gonna to take just a minute to go through the sections. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Oh, no, no. Too early. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare, oh, thanks, Mary. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My God runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <laughs> Amen. Amen. 
Amen. So good. Whew. Okay. Okay, the Lord is my shepherd. If you think about, um, King David writes this. King David used to be a shepherd boy, right? He was the youngest in his family. That's usually had the, who had the job. If your dad had sheep, you were the youngest, you got that job. Because <laughs> it was a lowly job. It wasn't a job that had honor with it and great esteem. It was a lowly job, right? It wasn't, shepherds were often chased around. There's not a lot of green in Israel. <laughs> so if there was good farmland, you didn't want sheep on it. You know, farmers would chase them away. So it's not necessarily like a highly esteemed job. It's a very specific kind of job though, right? Um, if you think about the job of a king, which God is king, but David's talking about him as a shepherd here. If you think about a king, a king is concerned about the people. How is the nation doing? How are the people doing? A shepherd is concerned about each one sheep, right? A shepherd cares about the flock, but a shepherd is very in tune with each individual sheep, right? So that's why the parable makes sense. Hey, shepherds, um, if you have 99 safe in the pen, you're going to go find the one who's lost, right? The profit margin on sheep is very thin, <laughs> right? If you're a shepherd in terms of wool or in terms of meat, what they can provide, the profit margin is very lean. You can't afford to lose a sheep and make money as a shepherd. You with me? So shepherds had to be very concerned with each one. How are they doing? Are they sick? Are they well? They had to be very concerned with how, how um, thick their wool was getting. It had to get long enough so it could be sold, but not so long that it began to harm them, or, right? Um, they were very in tune with every single one of the sheep. Now, God is not um, our shepherd because we have a profit margin <laughs> for him. <laughs> but those are things that made a shepherd so in tune with the individual sheep. So when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's talking about a very individual relationship here. The Lord knows the Lord knows me intimately. The Lord knows my needs. He's the king who's concerned with the scope of history and sovereign, and, but he's also a shepherd who doesn't want to lose one, right? And shepherds had difficult jobs, dangerous jobs. They protected the sheep of their life. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want right? Because the shepherd takes care of the needs of not just the sheep herd, but the individual sheep. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He doesn't even say he takes care of my needs. He says, I shall not want. There is satisfaction in being with a shepherd, right? Sheep are dumb. Sheep are stupid. No, really. Um, this summer, uh, we're reading our son's animal farm. There's been lots of talk of socialism, so we thought, oh, it's time for Animal Farm. Let's pull that out. Um, have you ever read George Orwell, Animal Farm? Okay, six of us are like, okay, okay. Animal Farm. The sheep are stupid, right? Sheep are stupid. Um, here's the deal. Sheep don't think ahead. They don't think about anything but the very next bite of grass they're going to get. They don't, they don't think about anything but that. So um, my grandpa, he raised sheep. My mom grew up raising sheep, right? She talked about her little lamb sometimes. My grandpa raised sheep. We would go out to visit my grandparents, Wyoming, and there'd be the sheep pen. And my grandpa would go out in the field in the morning, and the sheep would, at some point in the day, turn their head, stick it through the slat of the fence, and turn it back around, and then forget how to get it out. 
and they would spend the entire day backing up one inch against the board. And never think to like change position. They would do that for hours on end. He'd come back from the fields and he'd turn their heads and push them out and turn their heads and push them out, and turn, right? They needed the farmer to come back home. They'd be stuck like that forever. They'd never get another bite of anything. The sheep were totally defenseless, but the sheep follow the shepherd because one thing they do remember is he knows where the food is. <laughs> so when the shepherd gives them direction, sheep tend to follow pretty well. They get to know their shepherd and they're like, I have no idea where he's taken us because I can't remember a thing they did yesterday, but I know he'll take us somewhere good. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't even, if I'm honest, I don't even really know what my needs are. Not really. How many of you have had God speak, like you're like, I'm having this problem. God speaks a word about this thing over here and it sets everything else free. And you're like, oh, well, that's what I really needed. <laughs> that's what I, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I'm satisfied. He knows my needs more than I knew my needs. And so I don't have to worry from day to day because I don't even actually really know what my needs are for tomorrow which is why I shouldn't worry about tomorrow, right? But he does, and he's going to lead me where I need to go. I can trust my shepherd. I don't have to concoct a bunch of plans about how to make things happen and control the world, which is just fear. I can actually be satisfied and not live in fear. Because when I wake up tomorrow, the shepherd's going to be there again, and he's going to tell me where to go. He knows my needs. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I am satisfied. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up, when I would hear, because you hear this, this is the really common, right, chapter of the Bible, this psalm. You hear green pastures, and I think I always envisioned like Ireland or something. You know, rolling green hills, and, and so you think, oh, he leads me to green pastures. In green pastures, you could just lay there and just eat by the side of your mouth and never have to move, right? You'd, lazy life, everything's easy. If I'm doing the Christian life right, everything will be easy. I'm in a green pasture. Um, here's what a green pasture looks like in Israel. You that first picture? That's what a green pasture looks like in Israel. No, no joke. This is actually a green pasture. Yeah. It doesn't look like you envisioned, does <laughs> it? So can you go to the next picture? This is why it's considered a green pasture. See that? I'm not joking. That is why it's considered a green pasture. Because green pastures, shepherds know that there are certain hills in Israel that have rock formations in a certain way. So the very little rain that, it get, that they get is going to get trapped because the rocks are going to trap it. And also in the evening in Israel, there's a very humid wind that comes through most of the land. And so hills that have rocks trap that little bit of moisture. And so on these green pastures, these rocks that trap that moisture actually have something growing that can be eaten. This literally is a green pasture. So when it says, he leads me to green pastures, well, thank God. He makes my down green pastures. Thank God. He knows where the green pastures are. Because that looks like a pretty inhospitable terrain if you're something that needs grass to, to live. 
How many of you know the fallen world's a pretty inhospitable terrain for image bearers of God who were made for unbroken relationship with him and for a world that's set to rights the way that his righteousness dictates, which is not how our world is functioning now. It's a difficult terrain. So the good shepherd, he finds where the green pastures are because they're not easy. And if it's farmland, they're not letting you on it with your sheep. You've got to find the green pastures. And to graze, when you see sheep grazing in Israel, um, it doesn't look like they're standing in one spot and just because it's lush Irish grass. They've got to move between the rocks. There are mountains that would be easier for sheep to navigate in terms of walking because they don't have rocks all over them. But they also aren't going to have anything for them to eat. And so the, the shepherd takes them purposely to terrain that's more difficult because he knows the nutrients are actually there. Now, I'm sure you're already making the correlations, right? There's circumstances where we're like, God, what are you doing? What's happening? Why do you allow this? What, right? We find ourselves in those places and God's like, trust me. Trust me. I know where I'm taking you and I know what you need on the journey. And I wouldn't take you here. I wouldn't allow this here if I didn't know where we were. I know what's growing on this mountain. Now, I'm not saying every circumstance is like, well, I just had to go through that to learn something. But listen, in every difficult circumstance, I can learn something. I better learn something. But God knows. God knows the sheep are going to survive that mountain and they're going to have the nutrients they need to make it to the next day. You lead me in green pastures. Wow. That makes a lot more sense, honestly, with the rest of the passage. There's difficulty. And sometimes I even think, you've led me into difficulty. I think, why am I here? What's, this? What's happening? Didn't you know this was a treacherous road? But it's the only place that green was growing. How, how are you doing? Now, be really clear. I'm not saying God does bad things to people. God doesn't use fallen world tools. I'm not saying that. But we live in a fallen world. And there's times where your path is going to wind all through fallen world destruction. That he'll take you on the way that has nutrients. Because how many of you know people that don't know Jesus and they're navigating all the same fallen world stuff, but it is not green pastures. They're dying. Come on. Come on. So he leads me to the green pastures. They might be rough, might be a rough way to walk, but he knows. He knows, he knows, he knows. So he leads me to green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You just navigated that all day. You need a drink, <laughs> right? He knows where the water is, and he knows where the water is. It's not going to kill you, right? Sheep, again, are stupid. <laughs> we know this from Animal Farm. We know this from watching um, Babe. Sheep are stupid, right? I'm not saying worse. I'm just saying he does use the analogy because I think there are some similarities sometimes, right? Sheep, I mean, one will go into rapid water and get swept away and all the rest will just follow them. 
Like, you think they stop and be like, let's see what happens to that one. No, that is not what happens. They just, one person led, stupid person led, and they just all went right off that same cliff. Here's the problem. If you're a sheep, you also have a lot of wool on your back, right? Water is your friend if your mouth is in it. Water is not your friend if your body's in it, right? A shepherd has to find still water that's not going to sweep the sheep in and drown them. How many of you know there are things in this life that say they'll satisfy you? And once you're in it, you're drowning, right? This is a really practical definition of sin. There's other ways to think about it too, but I love this one just because I think it helps us navigate it a little better. Sin is using an inappropriate thing to fulfill a genuine need, right? The world has lots of things that say they'll fill your need, look like water, but man, it's rapids. The good shepherd is going to lead you beside still waters. So you have this sense of danger, right? He's keeping us from danger. He's taking us to where we need to go, keeping us from danger. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Um, just alluding back to Hebrews just for a second, Hebrews talks about there's a rest for the people of God. And as you read through this, you're reading provision, but you're also reading the sense of rest, right? He's restoring your soul. He causes you to lie down, right? There's this sense of um, the shepherd is taking care of you and so maybe you don't have to scurry and scratch and, right? He's restoring your soul. The path he's going to take you on isn't going to make you like road weary and, right? The path he takes you through, even when there's difficulty, there's going to be restoring of your soul. How many of you know, like our soul got messed up in the fall? You got broken. And the path he leads us in is going to restore our soul. This path of righteousness. What is Righteousness. What's righteous? How do we know what righteous is? Well, it's his character. God, by his character, defines what righteous is, what is right. By definition, evil is the opposite of God, right? So if God says it's righteous to pray for those who persecute you, it is evil to want vengeance against those who persecute you and to try to execute it, right? It's the opposite of his character, that's why evil can't really be destroyed because as long as God exists and he defines what's righteous, the opposite, there's at least a definition for it. Right? Are you with me? He leads us in paths of righteousness. These restore our soul. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. When we're following God in the paths of righteousness, even though you're having to navigate these green pastures or full of rocks, and right? You're on this journey he restores your soul. These paths of righteousness restore your soul. The ways that look like him. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now just really quick, and we won't have time really to go into it, but this psalm, there's... um. Um, 
you know, it doubles up. I'm trying to think if there's a word for it. Um, so it starts, the Lord is my shepherd. It will end with, I will draw on the house of the Lord forever. And then in between, the, the next, the first line after the Lord is my shepherd goes with the sixth line. And the second line goes with the third line, right? It doubles up. So when we look at, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This couples up with like, two and four go together. So by side still waters, the sense of danger, right? There's a sense of danger in waters that aren't still. So he leads me to still waters, and you have this coupling up here where it talks about, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Think about that. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? So grave difficulty, even death. And I have no fear because you're with me, right? So whether I'm walking through a trial myself or I myself am going to pass through the curtain of death, I don't fear because you are with me. And what am I comforted by? Your rod and your staff. The staff makes sense because with the staff, the shepherd guides his sheep, right? You've guided me with your staff. But why does the shepherd have a rod? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the rod disciplines the sheep, but it also protects them from wolves, right? The shepherd carries a, a weapon. Sometimes he's disciplining the sheep with a weapon, but that weapon also is making sure that no harm comes to them. Bears and wolves and things, he's got a weapon, right, to use. Here's the thing. I think especially in our, our modern American culture, we love like the, um, I'm going to call it like the kind of feminized view of God, Right? He's love, and he's grace, and he's mercy, and he's peace, and he is. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. But he's also righteousness and justice, and come on. I can't trust a God who's just like, right, a God who we totally neuter. I can't trust that God. I'm going to have to fend for myself if that's who God is. The fact that he has a rod, the fact that he says, you don't take vengeance because I'm going to. Oh, I can leave it with him because he's going to settle it in the end. Right? The fact that he's got a righteousness and there's a judgment, right, against unrighteousness, that gives me hope. The wrath of God is not a terrible thing we have to, like, be embarrassed about and explain away. The wrath of God makes us hopeful. Because the wrath of God means that at some point, the stuff that's broken isn't going to remain anymore. There's a reason why we call 911 when someone breaks in our house. Well, no, some of you don't. Some of you are like locked and loaded. Got it. <laughs> don't need the phone. Do not need the phone. We're in Jackson, right? Some of us, we have it handled. But let's say you live in New York City or Chicago, right? You gotta call 911, because they took your guns away, so you gotta call 911. <laughs> Why do you call 911? Because somebody with a gun is gonna come through my door and make the situation right. That's why you call 911. You're hoping that somebody with enough force is gonna come and make the evildoer stop what they're doing. 
If I lived in England, I'd be less inclined to call 911. They're gonna show up with harsh language. I don't know. That may not help. I want the person who's the enforcer to have the power to enforce righteousness. That's where the hope comes from. And so when you walk through difficulty, like when sun is shining, you're like, man, you're rod. That's a bummer, right? Mm, I don't like your correction. Ugh. Right? But when life gets tough, aren't you glad that God is looking out for you? Aren't you glad he has a rod? You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't be despitefully used forever because my God has a rod. At some point, you're either going to submit to him or he's going to rod you. Like, one of those two things is going to happen. So the fact that I've experienced his discipline makes me hopeful in difficult times. Because he's strong. I know he can take care of things. And I know he doesn't put up with stuff. Because he hasn't put up with my stuff. <laughs> his rod and his staff comfort me. The fact that you have a tool to guide me and the fact that you have a tool to, to enforce your righteousness gives me comfort and difficulty. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So you're in those difficult times. And maybe your difficult times don't involve people, but most difficult times involve people. Messiness of people. And when you're in those moments, people are despitefully using you. People are damaging you, right? People are hurting, right? There's hurt in your life. People are doing it. What happens in the presence of your enemies, those who are against you, those who knowingly or unknowingly come against you? What does he do? Prepares a table for you. That satisfaction, the leading behind, you know, beside still waters and in the green pastures, in the presence of your enemies, when life gets really tough and people are after you, and David, King David knows this very well, he's not saying devise a really good plan. He says, stop. Be still, I'll prepare the feast. Don't worry about navigating that hill right now. Don't worry about, I'm gonna prepare a feast for you. And I'm gonna do it in front of those who would take you down. I'm gonna make them watch you at peace, eating and satisfied. I don't know if you need to have vengeance in your heart when God's saying things like that, right? I can trust you. In the presence of your enemies, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to prepare a feast. I'm going to anoint your head with oil. Your cup's going to overflow. When they would anoint priests in the Old Testament, they would take oil, which was a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and they'd pour it over their head. It would drench them, completely drench them. And it was this sign this person is set apart. They are chosen. They have the favor of God, right? They are priests before the Lord. He says, I'm going to prepare a feast before you, and then in front of your enemies, anoint you. They're going to see you have the favor of God on your life. Right? And the human part of us, the part that's maybe not totally fixed yet, and in the image of God is like, yeah, take that, enemies. Ha! But he's so good. Part of the reason why he's doing that is so your enemies can see the goodness of God. And they might come to the table too. 
He's really good. He's really good. And when your enemies come against you, which he sees is coming against him, right? You're his. And they see how he provides for you in the difficulty, even the difficulty they're making. Guess what? They might just call out to him too. And that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. So we keep our heart right, right? Because if he says, hey, scoot over, make room at the table, this, this one wants in, that should be my heart too, <laughs> right? That should be my heart. I told this story, so I'm not going to tell it in detail, but my husband, um, where he used to work, it was a really good job for like 10 years, and then he got a new boss. And this new boss was, um, I don't know, quite a bit younger. Like, we're not old. This boss was quite a bit younger. Really smart guy, but he had a lot of issues. Like, basically a sociopath, and I'm not joking. <laughs> a lot of issues. And he would say, like, I could hire, he liked to hire, like, brand new guys because he could scare them. And it got to the point at Mitch's job where people were not going home. They were sleeping there overnight to get more work done. Like, what was the most hours one guy worked? They were, like, competing for how many? 120, I think, was the record. But he was just, by, he, all the, all the fallen world tools, guilt, shame, fear. Um, and my husband's like, yeah, this isn't right. You know, when you're, when you're old enough to know, like, this is not how things should go. You know what I'm saying? Um, so he really didn't like my husband. And my husband's righteous. And my husband, listen to this, he would work normal hours and still complete more tickets than everybody. That's the favor of God. I'm sorry. That's the favor of God. He wasn't sleeping under his desk. Right? He was like, this isn't righteous. So anyway, this guy was like, I could fire you and hire someone for much cheaper, blah, blah, blah. Like, which is really not legal even to say, right? This guy was like, bad news. He'd have my husband come in his office and he would tell him these creepy stories because my husband would call him on stuff like, this isn't legal and that's not legal. And this, right, he would call him on this stuff. So like one time he has my husband come in his office, just the two of them by himself. So there's no witness, right? And he told him this creepy story about this guy whose life he destroyed. No, for real. Some professor when he was in college had reported him for doing something illegal and he made it his mission to destroy that man's life. He like would, would like stalk him on the internet and try to find stuff. He ended up making these reports to the university and the guy had to come before a committee and you know, the university, university just kind of like, they're protecting their back, right? So they let the guy go. This guy was standing outside the hearing room where he was talking with, where he was finding out that they're gonna like not renew his contract for the next year. He stood outside the doors. He's telling my husband this. And when the, when the professor came out, obviously devastated, right? He's got a family, he's got um, to support, and he comes out and he says, remember me? And the professor's like, nope. <laughs> I'm the guy that you reported for like a ridiculous little tiny thing. I just wanted you to know, I'm the one that destroyed your life. Thanks, Mitch, you can go back to work. Like that's, he, mm, that's like crazy sociopath stuff, bizarre stuff. And he would like withhold stuff. I was, it was horrible. It was like a really bad two years. And Mitch was praying, and we were like, man, we feel called to be in Jackson, but there's nowhere else in Jackson we know of that can pay at the same rate, right? So what do we, so we're just seeking God, and we were like, we believe we're supposed to be here, but God, what are you doing? My husband and all of that, he had just thrown a resume out to Dart. We didn't even know, yeah, we, he didn't even know if they had like a pay scale, some, whatever. And um, after like, I don't know how many, a year later, so we're like two years in this thing, 
Dark calls him out of the blue. He almost didn't go to the interview. Dark calls him out of the blue, and they're like, hey, we want to do an interview with you. So he, go, he does the phone interview. He goes in for the in-person interview. And for his kind of thing, which I would tell you, what, he's an IT architect. Like he, I don't even know. He'd have to tell you. I can't get more specific. I don't understand it. But um, all that he does, but for what he does when you interview, they actually make you go to the blackboard and solve problems and stuff, right? So he had just been reading some random stuff. Like every question they asked him, he just read something about. And I mean, it was like, to this day, they compare every interview to Mitch. They're like, it was a pretty good interview. How did it compare to Mitch? Oh, maybe. To this day, they compare every interview to Mitch. And my husband has this random thing. If I had a superpower, like he's not thought about these things. If I had a superpower. So even like random questions like that, he was like, oh, telekinesis. And this is like. <laughs> but these people were like, we must have this man. We must have this man. So they offer him the job. And my husband is gutsy. I don't. He's got to, like, because we knew, like, we want out of this other job. It's terrible. Um, they offered him a job, and it was, like, well above. I can't, I, I, he's giving me a look, like, don't use numbers. Of course I won't use numbers. I'll just use a percentage. I won't. It was well above the pay scale. And we didn't even know that that was anywhere in the area. And then my husband said, actually, could I get an extra week of vacation? And, I don't know, it was, like, a percentage more. And they were like, yes. <laughs> okay, let me just put it this way. He would have had to work for the other company 10 more years just to get like cost of living increases to get him where he was. But I mean, it was crazy. It was absolute insanity. And you know what? When the shepherd, when you're following the shepherd and you're hearing his voice and you're satisfied, you don't get scared like, I'll just take whatever offer I get. He was like, I feel like God's telling me to ask for more. So he did. And he got it. But you know what I'm saying? Like, when, you, when, the, when you're like, the shepherd's good, and I'm hearing his voice, here's what he's saying. Right? And you're not just, like, trying to control. All of a sudden, you can do what he tells you to do. And, man, the pastures we would have found for ourselves are nothing compared to the pastures he will find for us. Nothing. So, at that job, my husband was doing things nobody else knew how to do. And he went into his boss and said, hey, I found another job. I'm giving my two weeks notice. And what typically happened, because of all the regulations, the federal regulations surrounding what he used to do, what happens for IT people is immediately they call security and they walk you out because you know things that could like destroy grids and things, right? And they change all your passwords. <laughs> His boss, who had been such a, right, so controlling and so like, you know, trying to be this big bad guy, his boss became a child. And he was like shaking in his boots. He said, wait right here. His boss ran down the hallway. He didn't walk fast. He ran down the hallway to the boss's boss and said, we've got a problem. <laughs> and Mitch was like, if I just left today, which I could, they'd be in big trouble. Like if I wanted to really mess them over for what they've done, I totally could. And so he... The big, the, they all came back and they're trying, they're saying, well, could you work an extra this? Could you do this? Could you do that? And my husband, because he's righteous, he was to show them the feast of God isn't just for him, it's for everybody. You can come to the feast too. He, knowing he was going to quit, did documentation for every single thing they would need and said, I'll stay and I'll walk people through it. Here's all the documentation you need. 
for the things you didn't even know you needed. Come on. And that guy who had been so evil to my husband, I mean, he loved him. He loved him and he knew he was a believer. He knew he was a righteous guy. And he, this guy needs Jesus so bad. He just got so much pain in his life. But I'm telling you what, he saw a revelation of the goodness of God. Because this is how an honorable man who serves the Lord acts. Because he thought for sure Mitch was going to stick it to him because he'd been so evil. But do you get what I'm saying? In the presence of your enemies, <laughs> he's going to prepare a table. This guy trying to take him down, I mean, he got a job offer for more than that guy was making. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, he will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And then our heart should be, God, let my enemies see how good you are and how good your favor is that they want to seat at the table too. Right? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'm not having to chase it down. I'm not saying where's goodness and mercy? Where do I find it? How do I chase it? Goodness and mercy are chasing me all the days of my life when I'm following him, when I'm walking behind him in his footsteps. Goodness and mercy are hunting me down. And then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever and ever as we experience God's presence. As we experience his presence, don't let it just be an experience. Let it strengthen your connection. I need to be connected to you. I need to hear your voice. I need to know your word. I need to be fostering these experiences in my own home, right? In my own prayer time, I need to abide. I need your presence. I can foster worship in my home. I don't have to wait till Sunday to get it. I need a relationship with you. Because when you follow the shepherd, this is what it looks like. He's good. We live in a fallen world. There will be difficulty, but he is good and his ways are good. And he will take care of you. He will take care of you. Would you stand? Worship team, would you come on up? Prayer team, if you come on up. God is so good. God is so good. He's inviting us. Come in deeper. Come in further. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. All the plans we make, trying to control all of our circumstances, they don't work. Trust him. Do what he says. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. We're going to take some time now just to worship him and respond to the word. And there's folks who can pray with you. There's folks who are here in front who will be here on each side. There's also folks in back on each side who can pray with you. If you are in this house today and you know you are far from God, you are the most important person in the house. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that your relationship with God can be restored. I want to encourage you, if that's you, you find one of these folks. You go pray with them. If that's you, you know you're far from God. If you're sick in body and need healing, get prayer. You've come with needs. You've come needing answers. You've come, you've come needing to connect with God. Come and get prayer. There's something about stepping out from where we're at and just going and seeking out prayer. It's about walking, right? Something about actually moving. Something that doesn't do our heart, positions us differently. You can also pray with any believer in the house. Every believer has the kingdom without measure. But let's take some time to respond to God. If there's needs, lay them before him. Let's take some time to connect to the Lord. Amen.
that people are going through or hardships that they're facing. Um, if there's somebody who needs salvation, would you just tell them?
praying, just keep praying. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We have a good shepherd. <laughs> we have a good shepherd. He cares for his sheep. But those of us, 99, who are safely in the pen, as we leave today, we need to leave with a shepherd's heart that says there's one not in the pen. I'm gonna go find that one this week. I'm gonna find the one that safely doesn't know the shepherd yet. <laughs> not safely in the pen yet. That he's pouring into us. We owe, <laughs> we owe those who don't know him yet what we've received freely, freely we've been given. Freely we receive, freely we should give. Amen. He's filling you for purpose. You won't have to strive in it. Just listen for his voice. Look for the divine appointments he's making. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Before you leave today, you encourage somebody especially maybe somebody you don't know if you don't know somebody encourage them first the person you know you can encourage second or call them later <laughs> find someone you don't know if you're new I'm going to be back by the coffee I'd love to meet you before we go let's pray together our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Love you. God bless you.